Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to the first episode of 2020. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Delighted to be back this year. Delighted to have you back this year. We're going to crank out incredible content, tremendous episodes with outstanding guests, and let's get started. We are absolutely hitting the ground running. My guest today in the first episode of 2020 is Dr. Jamie Coleman. Jamie is a trauma surgeon, and she is the Director of Communications and Outreach for the Department of Surgery at Denver Health, and she's also an Associate Professor of Surgery at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. I've made my affection and admiration for trauma surgeons pretty transparent and open, and speaking with Jamie was an absolute treat. We really hone in, though, on the idea and the theme of what people who are not in medicine like to ask physicians about and where this took us was into something that is a real specialty for her, which is around the idea and the impact of working extraordinarily long hours, of staying awake for long periods of time, what that does to performance, what that does to health, and how do we measure it so we can start to make it better. Jamie is leading the way with the research that she and her teammates have been doing, and we get into a lot of that sort of thing, but also around what are the things that drive this? What are the things that push physicians to work these long, long hours? What are the surrounding circumstances that cause this? And especially a subject that's of growing interest to me, which is the impact of a scarcity mindset in medicine and how that drives this sort of thing. It was just an absolute treat to speak with her. She's so accomplished and she is in the midst of an extraordinary career. And it's obviously really important that she's able to keep doing what she's doing. And so part of this conversation around working long hours informs how we're going to sustain her and a lot of our colleagues who do work very long hours, who are awake for a full day and more at a time, multiple times per month. It's a great conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy it. The website for Explore the Space is the place to go. We are going to be cranking out fantastic episodes all year long. Everything is archived carefully there. You can find all of the different themes of Explore the Space, all of the different subject matter. It's all there when you go to www.explorethespaceshow.com. I'm still very active on social media as well. I love interacting on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, find me, please, at ETS Show. Please give me a follow. We keep people up to date on what we're doing as well as all of the other things that are just happening in the world around us. It's a great resource. Lots and lots of good conversations are happening there. I'm also on Instagram at Explore the Space Show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. That's a great place to connect as well. Getting feedback from people who've been listening to the show is incredibly special. I welcome it, whether it's good, negative, positive, constructive, whatever. I, I, I like it and I learn from it. If you have the chance as well, please, if you listen to Explore the Space on a podcast player, please subscribe, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to download your podcast, please do give us a subscribe and definitely give us a rating and a review. It really helps the show out. And lastly, going into this year and going forward, if you're enjoying the show, please do recommend us to your friends. There's so many good podcasts out there. I am grateful for the time. We really do try to craft these episodes to fit into your life whether you're working out or commuting or 
finding that space in time where having something good to listen to, that's where Explore the Space really fits in. So please do recommend us to your friends. Word of mouth is rocket fuel for growth, and it is really appreciated. We are getting off to a great start this year. I'm so happy to have had Jamie on the show. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So without further ado, Dr. Jamie Coleman. Jamie, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is I've been eagerly awaiting this, actually. I've seen and listened to so many of your great episodes. Thank you again for this invitation. That's wonderful to hear. You're a trauma surgeon. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Let's just start there. I'm going to fanboy out a little bit because trauma surgeons are cool. Oh, thanks. You know, it's it's definitely a conversation starter. I will say that. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. So I like this idea of conversation starters, obviously, but I think that... I'm a frustrated trauma surgeon in some ways. I really liked it. When I was a medical student at Baylor College of Medicine, every chance I had to be in the in the trauma recess area, every chance I had to go to the OR, every trauma rotation, I really, really loved it. Full disclosure, and you can speak to this, the duration of the training for me was just a bridge too far. And I, I knew that I wanted to learn how to be an attending and get going on my career. And yeah looking down the road and knowing what you have accomplished and so many have accomplished. And I tip my hat to you and to all of your trauma colleagues. For me, it was, you know what, I'm going to get to do similar stuff. I'm going to still enjoy it. And I'm going to just walk a different path. Absolutely. You know, and I think that the training, so to back up a little bit, you mentioned Baylor College of Medicine, which, you know, anyone who's in the medical field knows that it is such a historical and important um, trauma center in the United States. And I did my medical school at the University of Tennessee at the Regional Medical Center, the MED, Elvis <laughs> Memorial, Elvis Presley Memorial Trauma Center. Oh, wow. And, you know, same thing. I just, I was always attracted to surgery. I have embraced my impatient side <laughs> of my personality, but I, I have, I've always been attracted to surgery and being a medical student at a very busy trauma center, like the one in Memphis, it definitely sealed the deal for me. I then did my residency at Cook County in Chicago. Oh, wow. Um, You've been in in all the pressure cookers. Yes. Um, spent five years there and to follow that, cause you know, I just thought I needed to do more of it. I did a two-year trauma and surgical critical care fellowship at Grady Memorial in Atlanta. So yeah, it was busy training. It was hectic training. And it is training that I am ever grateful for. I learned from the best and it's not a short road. um, It's it's not a short road. And it's also... I mean, it is way, way out at the sharp edge. And I like that you said it's a conversation starter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an interesting segue into when you're a physician, people who aren't in medicine. And this is one of the things I love about doing Explore the Space and doing the shows. We get to talk about things that people are interested in. And I want to ask you, because I know what the answer is for me. I know that people want to hear stories of trauma and what you see and what you do and the crazy things that you've seen and the emotional things that you've seen. I'll just share with you. And I want you to to tell me where this lands on your sort of scale of things that you're asked about the most, the things that I'm asked about the most, even when I was a medical student and a resident, it was not 
wild stories. It was not what's the grossest, what's the scariest, what's the right. worst. It was how, what, what is the long, some, some permutation of the following. What is the longest you've ever had to stay awake? Or mm-hmm. how do you stay awake for so long? How do you work so many hours? Where does that idea of working long hours as a place of curiosity for people not in medicine, where does that land for you? It definitely lands up pretty high. I think the first kind of branch point is I, you know, I, um, I think it's something I didn't anticipate, but a lot of people really don't understand or really know what a trauma surgeon is in the sense of people. Then I think the first several questions are, Oh, so you, you work in the ER. And oh, I get that all the time as right. a hospitalist. You work in the ER. Well, no. a lot of answers start with, well, dot, dot, dot. Exactly. I'm like, okay, let's step back. And, <laughs> and then, you know, I say like, yes, our ER physicians are colleagues and their medical doctors and their training is, you know, three years. It's very different than our training. I'm a, I'm a surgeon first and foremost. And then the type of patients that I specialize in are ones that have been injured. So yes, that means that some of my work is in the ER, but the majority of it's in the OR, uh, the operating room, and in the ICU as well, being double boarded in critical care. So I think that's kind of the first thing. And then once they grasp that, then yes, it's one of the next questions. Once they realize that I don't work shifts, I don't work eight, 10, or 12 hour shifts, this concept of spending anywhere from 24 up to 72 hours inside the hospital at any given time is just mind blowing for most people. Yes. And so, yeah, I think that's definitely probably where the conversation then goes next, where it's kind of just this grasping of what my life looks like. Yeah. And then I get, and then I get the, what's the coolest thing, craziest thing right. kind of questions right. after that. When we start from the this idea of working long hours and staying awake, I'm always met with a sense of disbelief. And full disclosure, I don't work those same hours as I used to. Uh, I still work a lot of hours, but it's nothing like I did. And it's nothing like you as a trauma surgeon and a lot of my surgical colleagues still work. Let's not start from the place of, is that good or bad? <laughs> but we're going to get there. We're going to get there because it's yes. a really important discussion. I just want to start from the place of, for me at least, and I'm curious, curious on your take on this. For me, it was just baked in. It was just understood. There was no, there wasn't even any orientation around it. You're going to be up for the next 36 hours. Here's the ways to prepare for it. Here's the stuff you should bring to the hospital. It was, this is the day that your team is on call. And this is the day that you're on call. And that's just what you do. What was your experience with the first couple of times and then figuring out how to work for 24 or 36 hours without stopping. Well, you know, it's interesting because I remember still to this day sitting in my classroom as a first year medical student, kind of really hearing about call and Q2 and Q3 and what does that mean? And for our audience, um, I started medical school before the 80 hour work week. The 80-hour work week didn't come into effect, I believe, until my last year in medical school. Okay. Um, so, like you said, it it was very it made very clear to us that when we started, hey, just so you know, 80-hour <laughs> work week applies to the residents, not to you guys. Um, 
And like you said, it just, it was, this is how it is. And very little orientation to it or any discussion at all about sleep deprivation or what to look for or any acknowledgement that it was a lot or unusual. And so that's a good way to put it. No acknowledgement that it was a lot, no acknowledgement that it was unusual. Correct. It was just, that's how it was. And I, when I think back to, I started taking call at 22 years of age and I'm 40 now. So when you think that almost half my life, I've now been taking in-house call for periods longer than 24 hours. It's a bit of Stockholm syndrome. Wow. It's a, it's a bit of, well, what do you mean you don't understand my schedule? <laughs> what, do you, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean you don't understand? No, no, no. Like I don't do shifts. What makes you think that? Like, yeah. and, it, and it's funny because I've been in it for so long that that's all I know of as normal that I have to reorient myself that not only to the rest of the world, but even to the rest of the medical world, there are very few specialties that require attendings to be in the hospital 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then there's right. a, you know, a subsegment of hospital systems that even require that. So we start really whittling down, okay, which hospitals and which specialties. And then again, most specialties slash all of them have figured this out better than we have as trauma surgeons in the sense of anesthesia, OB, hospitalists, ER, radiologists, you know, these other specialties that do require people to be in the hospital at places like where I work now, a very busy level one trauma center. And yet, I am hard pressed to find other specialties where working a 100 hour work week happens to them. Yeah. So I'm curious to get your reflections hearing the number of years that you have done stretches where you've worked 24 to 36 hours at a clip or more. And I think it's important to acknowledge in that stretch, sleep may or may not happen. And if it does, it's just for little snatches and grabs. It's not like a nice six hour chunk. It may or may not occur. And it's very haphazard. Absolutely. From when you arrive at the hospital to start to when you leave the next day, reflect a little bit on the evolution of how you feel physically and mentally and, and how long it takes to recover. That's a great question. And you know, the short answer is it depends. It depends a bit about what I'm doing on call. That is so interesting that it depends because for me, it was static. Right. Yeah. I felt, I felt shattered, wrecked, Yeah. tired, nauseated every time, whether I had gotten rest or not. And then I would take it. I needed anywhere from eight to 12 hours and I was completely reset. Yep. So for you, it is not that way for you. It depends. Walk us through the variables that will drive it in one way or another, and then how you feel and then how you reset. Uh, variables. Great question. So number one, I would say is, you know, what am I like entering the call? In other words, am I entering that 24 hours after I've worked 80 hours in a row? (laughs) I've, you know, um, or that week, 
really is what I mean. You know, if I've already worked 80 hours in a week and then yeah. I'm starting a 24 hour call, yes, I definitely feel differently than if I'm more rested or have worked fewer hours. I think other components to that are how busy I am and yeah. with what. In the sense of, like you said, this disjointed sleep, you know, and I know you know this too as a hospitalist and that you're try- like, I'm trying to lay down, I'm trying to get some sleep and I'm just getting peppered every 30 minutes to an hour with, you know, phone calls and mm-hmm. little things, <laughs> you know, my irritation level goes way up and my... I guess more frustration actually is probably better word than irritation. My frustration with call or my frustration with how the night is going is much higher than if I'm up operating on a sick patient. Yeah. And so I will say that how I feel during the call itself definitely varies. And then in terms of recovery, you know, it's interesting again, as you know, um, this is the area that I research and, it's interesting because in the first study, it's one of those things that we say. It's like, oh, post-call day. So, you know, the day immediately after your call. Yeah. You know, you don't feel great, but you kind of rally through. <laughs> no, you don't feel great. But it's the post-post-call day. So if I take call Monday into Tuesday morning, Tuesday, yeah, don't feel great. But are there times that I'll go and get a workout in on my way home? Absolutely. So that's Tuesday, but then Monday. So really like two days after I've taken the call is worse. I'm just exhausted. I'm tired. And it's one of those that we all talked about. We all said like, gosh, like post-call day kind of sucks, but post-call day really sucks. And that's what we saw in our data was actually more fatigue, lower quality of sleep, less physiologic recovery. So, you know, I, I do think there's kind of this fight or flight response in that immediate post-call period where your body's just, all right, we got to get through this. We're almost there. Let's, let's give you some adrenaline. Let's push through it. And then you're still feeling effects the next day. And I find that to be very, very true. There's, there's one piece that I want to ask you about, and then I want to step into the work that the research work that you're doing. But the sure. piece I want to ask you about is the physicality, the physical nature of being on call, yeah. whether you're, cause for, you know, as a hospitalist or you're up, you're running around, you're in the ED, things like that. I think though, that going to the operating room for hours at a time while on call, wearing the lead protection from, you know, if you're taking films in the OR, those, the, the physicality has to be a major contributor, I would imagine. Oh, it absolutely can be. I mean, you know, it's interesting. There have been studies that looked at heart rates of surgeons during during an operation at the same time as they look at the heart rates of the anesthesiologist. Oh, wow. Oh, it's it's actually one of my favorite studies, just to poke at my anesthesia colleagues for fun. (laughs) (laughs) And it's because, so right, you're taking two attending level physicians at the same time they're doing their work. But their work is very different, and it's physiologically very different. It is physiologically more stressful. It is measurable. It is there that being a surgeon is harder on your body and more stressful on your body during surgery than even other specialties. 
at work. It's the combination of the standing. You know, there are times that you stand for hours and hours on end to the point your feet are swollen, your legs are cramping, your back, your neck are sore. And it's the mental concentration at the same time. And it's dynamic. It's moving, especially in trauma. You don't really know what you're, you know, you don't always know all the injuries going into it. But you kind of have a basic plan, but that plan that plan is constantly evolving. And that takes a lot of mental, emotional energy as well. So I, I do want to spend a moment now that you've brought us into the OR of when you have to you have to open a chest or you have to open an abdomen. I remember, and it's been a little while, but I remember it is it's one of the most remarkable things in in both a good and a frightening way to, to move through that anatomy, to kind of unlock doors and see what's behind them and have to make decisions on the fly. Cause like you say, you don't know exactly what you're going to find. The common things, the, the common landmarks, the common expectations can be very disrupted. Yes. What is the mindset that you have to carry to move through a, a trauma where you have to open a chest or open an abdomen? You know, I, 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 cause you've done it so many times now, right? You've done this I know. thousands of times. Yes. I would imagine your mindset is the same, even if you've never thought about it that way right. and that your team knows, okay, we're at this stage in the case. Right. Don't talk to Dr. Coleman. Okay. We're at this stage in the case. Let's talk again. I think a couple of things. I think there's a lot that goes into being a trauma surgeon beyond even just me finding the bleeding and stopping it in the sense of in order to create the best possible environment for me to operate within. And that even goes in the trauma bay is creating a sense of calm, creating a sense of it's all going to be okay. Don't know what it is. And it's going to be fine. All bleeding stops. You know, these sort of kind of mantras where you get the team to focus on what they need to do, which lets me focus on what I need to do in the sense of if everyone's feeding off of me feeling anxious or frenzied, they're going to feel anxious. They're going to feel frenzied. They're going to feel unfocused. So I think my biggest mindset is actually for me to read the room that I'm in. Who's with me? Where are they? Do they need to take a deep breath? Because for me to focus on what I need to do, I need everyone else in the room, like I said, to focus on what they need to do. Um, So it's kind of a general sort of gestalt. And then I think the second mindset is, all right, let's find the injury. Stop the bleeding. And again, keeping it simple. Because I think in stressful situations, critical situations, keeping communication simple, keeping everyone focused. It's easier to focus on one thing versus trying to focus on 20 things. So like I like to tell everybody, I just fix holes. That's all I do. I'm an overpaid plumber. Um, (laughs) But I think keeping it simple is probably the thing I try to teach my residents, teach the people that are with me that let's communicate and let's go. Let's fix it. 
So I like that you brought up teaching because this is something that you do on social media. It's something that you do with your research and it's something that you and I are reflecting on. There's obviously a lot of subject matter that you could teach around, but what I get the sense that you are honing in on is to work on what you and I were just discussing earlier, which is this idea of sleep, sleep deprivation, and the impact that it has on surgeons. Yeah. So, so walk us through the, the work that you're doing and what we're starting to see what's emerging. Cause it does feel like early days in the work, but, but give us a little context setting around that. Well, it's funny is a great segue because what I was just talking about, which is creating this sense of calm and focus, you know, when people ask me, what is it like to be a trauma surgeon in the U S and it's funny, I give two scenarios. One is think of the worst hardest, toughest thing you've ever had to say to another human being, whether it's, you know, I quit. Um, I want a divorce. Will you marry me? You know, just think about the most really emotionally intensive thing or conversation that you've had with another human being, because, you know, in the sense of butterflies in the stomach, how did you feel? Was your heart skipping a beat? Did you feel like it was? Were you shaky? And then imagine giving words to a family member that their loved one has died and doing it, unfortunately, multiple times. Um, And then the second part of what I tell people is think about the last time you had to pull an all-nighter for something, whether it was in college for your work, your business, you had a project that was due. And think about how you felt the next day. And so that's what being a trauma surgeon is. It's being, it's trying to keep things simple, stay focused, keep things calm, but while you're tired and not always feeling your best. And this is why I want to study what I'm studying, which is what is the stress? What is the physiologic stress that a surgeon goes through? As I mentioned before, you know, we, we know what a surgeon looks like during the operation, but what do they look like six hours afterwards? What do they look like during a tough conversation with a family? What do they look like during just a horrendous night where they may not have been operating, but they've had trauma activation after trauma activation after trauma activation. And no one knew the answer to this. And when you think about all the little bits and pieces we've already been talking about. It's hard to stand up for hours at a time. It's hard to miss some sleep. It's hard to get disjointed sleep. What we do is very serious. What we do is very critical. And it's critical with a a timer going off next to you. You know, it's timed. You've got a certain amount of time to stop that bleeding to save that patient. So this whole interesting milieu in which my job lives, just, it, it just, kind of makes sense for us to say, okay, we're in an extreme population from looking at the general population, but then also looking within medicine. So what do we look like? And then it's just like stepping on the scale. Sometimes you don't know what you need to do. Even if you, in your head, right? You're like, ah, I'm overweight. I need to lose a few pounds. But oftentimes stepping on the scale is the first step towards fixing it. It's the first step in your plan to doing better, getting better, getting healthier. 
And for me, the current research I'm doing, which is the monitoring, to me, that's the stepping on the scale. Where are we? How is this job impacting us? And that, to me, is step one to making us all better, healthier, and not only living longer, but being able to give more to our patients. I asked you about mindset earlier, and I really like that the mindset that you're approaching this with is not because it's going to make me a professor or I'm going to write a book. It's, oh gosh, no. this is a really hard job. Let's collect data. Let's demonstrate with the mindset being, we can use this to get better, not to say, look how tough we are. No, or to say, yeah, it's, it's how do we make this better? And I really do appreciate that because the subject matter, what, what are the physical and mental impacts of our profession, particularly around working long hours? It is a touchy subject. And I think that more so now than ever, because, you know, when I was in training, like we talked about, it was just baked in same for you. There are people now who are much more alert to look, I'm, I'm in my late twenties. I'm in my early thirties staying awake every third night for six months, this is going to have an impact on my long-term health. I need to better understand what that is. How much does that inform your, your work and the endpoints that you're seeking? Well, you know, I, you know, when I talk about this work, I think there's really kind of three main buckets in the sense of there's the, who we are Yeah. that, you know, every specialty hospitalists, internal medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN, you know, every specialty kind of attracts a certain type of personality. So you could say, when I say that we are an extreme sort of skewed population, you can also say we start off as an extreme skewed population, just based on the fact that we chose trauma surgery. Um, and so it's the who we are in terms of personality traits, endurance traits, um, things like that. And then there's the what we do, which is the content of our work. But then there's the how we do it. And I just think we can do this better. And it's interesting that you mentioned this because when I first came up with this, you know, research project, it was definitely to a mixed response. It was, well, what are your goals with this? Yeah. You're, you, you're rocking a pretty sturdy boat. Yes. Are you, you know, are you going to try and implement hours limitations on attendings and da, 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 and so on and so forth. And I, you know, I kept telling people, I was like, listen, you guys, let's step back. There's some data already out there. We already yeah. know that out of trauma surgeons, about one third of us screen positive for depression. We know that it's about the same number, if not a little bit higher that screen positive for post-traumatic stress disorder out of 14 different surgical subspecialties trauma surgeons reported the lowest quality of life the highest number of hours worked and we're at a national shortage part of our problem is it's this bad hamster wheel of if there aren't enough of us it becomes a math problem in that me or one of my partners has to be in this hospital 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, that's 365, right? Times 24 divided by how many of us there are. And so there's a bit of a supply issue. But in order to fix the supply issue, and in order to have us be around and be healthy, 
so that we can take care of patients, we have to start by taking care of ourselves. So there's never been any ulterior motive about think people thinking we're unsafe or trying to limit hours. It's more of just asking the question, how can we do this better? Can we do this better? What are some modifiable factors? Is it meditation? Is it exercise? Is it our BMI? Is it nothing modifiable? Is it a factor of age, gender, marriage, you know, married situation, in the sense of what kind of support systems you do or don't have? There's so many aspects of this that I think are very low-hanging fruit that we can improve upon that despite some concerns and despite some consternation, I think just stepping back and saying, hey, listen, can we do better? And I think the answer has got to be a resounding yes. I'm excited to see what comes out of this because I think that that is a noteworthy approach to a specialty that to my perception with the respect to staffing and hours has been static for a long time. And yeah. in fact, it's part of the DNA. It's part of the culture. It's part of the swagger yes. of, of surgery and trauma surgery, which is may have some benefits, but it also has some, some clear detriments. There is one thing that I want to pull out of what you were talking about that I do think merits some exploration and it's right. You said 365, 24 <laughs> hours a day, Yep. How many partners do you have? Well, the calendar doesn't change, but how many partners you have does. And I do think, and this may be something that we have to just kind of keep in the parking lot and slowly think about. And it's something that I think about a lot and it's the impact of scarcity mindset in our profession. Right. Why is that number fixed? If we say, and this is why your research is so important, because if you circle back to us and say, when we're done with this project, we're going to, we have, we're demonstrating that these sorts of hours have deleterious health effects on our, on our teammates. The, the, the most meaningful thing it's, you're right. It's not the meditation. It's not being tougher. It's not being more resilient. We have to expand the pool. And there is a, the, the impact of a scarcity mindset in medicine has rippled for generations. And I do think the thing that I am the most excited about with the work that you're doing is I think it's going to be a needle that pops that balloon. I really do. And I'm, I, I'm, I want, I, I want that. Yeah. Well, I think it's twofold. Um, one is that as you know, ACGME, I mean, we've trained basically the same number of surgeons Yep. approximately, approximately 1000 a year, general surgery residents, graduate, um, or become board certified, um, a year. And that has not changed in over 20 years, which is bananas. It's bananas. just insane. And yeah. so, you know, then part of it too is if your specialty is not deemed attractive in the sense of what I'm talking about, long hours, in-house hours, you're then not likely to get a great share or a great number out of those 1,000 to go into <laughs> further training, yeah, right? Yeah. Because it's not just, okay, hey, we want you to start taking calls. Hey, we want you to work a whole lot, but we're going to make you go train another two years in order to have the privilege of working a whole lot. Um, so I think that, number one, is an issue. And that's an issue really for all of surgery, not just trauma surgery. I think the second is... When I talk about this and I have a lot of people come back to me and say, you know what, Jamie, like administration's never going to hire 
another trauma surgeon. And I always say, okay, then find your anesthesiologist, find your ER physicians who work the same number of hours as you do. Because I can guarantee you, your administration has hired enough anesthesiologists and enough ER physicians to still provide 24-hour, seven-day-a-week coverage, and they're not working 100 hours in a week. So, and again, there are more anesthesiologists and more ER physicians trained a year, much more than general surgery. But also speaking, you know, I live at this intersection. So full disclosure, my husband was a professional athlete. And so I live at this intersection of living with someone who, and we've been together now over 19 years, long time, um, where they are elite at what they do. And there's definitely a similar sort of like, you know, how trauma surgeons are like, yep, I worked 72 hours in a row. Look at me. I am so hardcore. And that's the, that's part of the problem because (laughs) instead of saying like the anesthesiologists say, we need more people. It's the mindset of look how tough we are for being able to suck this up. And that, that, that is a barrier. There's definitely some of it. And there's also too this sort of like, Oh, well, we don't really have a choice. Yeah. It, it, like, okay, well, this sucks, but let's just do it. And there's definitely some of that too in, in the sports world, right? Where I listen to my husband and his former teammates talk about their horrible two a days and oh my gosh, coach so and so made us do this. But there's a fine line where sports teams have realized you can stress an athlete to the point that it worsens their performance. In that it doesn't give them their return on investment. And I think similarly, we have to find that line in surgeons. And I don't mean return on investment in terms of how many RVUs we can bill. But I mean more in longevity. The quality of work, the quality of your trauma surgeons. If your trauma surgeons are burned out, stressed, and depressed, you can imagine their quality of life bleeds to a certain extent in their happiness at work, which means then they're not happy at work. They're more likely to look for a different job. They're more likely to leave. They're more likely to cut back. And your hospital, your administration's return on investment is going to diminish if you don't take care of the people working for you. And whereas I do believe sports teams are ahead of the curve on that and they're looking at their athletes physiology they're professional athletes now who have severely or uh, significantly limited their practice time in order to make themselves game ready and i think in a similar nature we really have to look at what we're doing how we can make it better so that we can be better i think the term in the nba now is load management Right. And that's become a very popular thing. Uh, even yeah. just, just the season more so than ever of NBA players like Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, all the, the, the stars saying, look, we're going to limit the number of minutes we play. We're going to take some nights off. And yeah. I think that it's, it's really interesting that that mindset is part of the milieu that you're taking into this work. How do people find the work that you're doing? Three questions. <laughs> How yeah. do people find the work that you're doing? Okay. Are you still enrolling? And when do you start to anticipate 
having a critical mass of data where you can start to make some conclusions. Great. All right. Number one, where you can find us. So I have published, I think they are behind publishing walls though. Um, so I will have to check, but Journal of the American College of Surgeons, Jax, if you follow them on Twitter, uh, I've done a video with them. They have published the visual abstract. They've done a lot, quite frankly. So that's one of the places where you can find some of the work that I've done. And I have published, but I think they, I think, I think both articles currently are behind publishing walls. Which but, is a problem, but that's a separate correct. conversation. That's a whole nother, I know, that's why I'm like, yeah. oh, that's a whole nother. Uh, that's that's PubMed hell, but we'll, we'll stay out of PubMed hell for right now. So yes, you can PubMed me, you can Google me. I've done other interviews on this topic. I do try to... And we'll have links to the good ones in the show notes. You're going to send them to me. Perfect, yes. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter as well. I do try to uh, keep people up to date on other interesting articles that I've read about how the study's going. My current study has enrolled over 200 surgeons, trauma surgeons across the country. We are not currently still enrolling. The trial is actually already undergoing, which I'm very excited about, very grateful to all the participants. It's a surgeon performance trial, shortened to super trial. And I am hoping to have some prelim results definitely out by the end of this year. Just depends a little bit on deadlines and when people decide, people being journals, decide to publish uh, the articles. But as we present, actually even upcoming this week at EAST, the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, I'm very proud to say one of my papers from last year on this topic was named one of the landmark papers from last year and is getting presented. Right so, on. No kidding. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Thank you. That's Doc. wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Doc Simity also recognized the other paper I wrote last year on this topic um, as one of their top trauma surgery papers from last year as well. I'm also going to be doing a podcast with Whoop upcoming, which I'm very excited about. So yeah, hopefully, you know, in kind of lay press with Twitter, social media, et cetera, as well as obviously in some scientific arenas and in publications, people can find my work. That is really, really exciting. Congratulations are for Thanks. sure in order. That's a big conference and that's very cool. Yes, I am very excited about it. And the best part is, is I don't even have to present it. <laughs> I get to sit and watch That's someone awesome. else present it. So they kind of the cherry on top for me. That's great. That's great. There's a lot more to be done. You're you're certainly laying in some really, really good and important infrastructure that I I'm I have a lot of anticipation for, and I think it's gonna have a good impact. It's gonna take some time. But yeah. that's okay. And, you know, I think it's going to, it's going to be momentous stuff. And I, my sense of anticipation around it was high. Now we've spoken for, you know, now we've spoken and it's even higher. So Thank this is good you. stuff. And I would also say, if you want, while you're waiting for the journals to publish, you're welcome back here whenever you want. If you want to drop a little breaking news. That'd be great. I would yeah. love to. That'd be fun. That'd be really, really fun. That'd be really cool. You're doing great work. Your social media feed is awesome. Share with everyone what your Twitter handle is. My Twitter handle is at JJ Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N-M-D. And I would love to connect with people via Twitter. I think it would be fun, and I'm going to invite you to do this, is to share while we're still figuring out how to deal with work hours, is maybe to do a little hashtag med thread 
a little tutorial on what are the best practices when you do know that you have to be up all night. What oh. are the what are the things to bring? What are the things to avoid? What are the ways to get through so that the post call day is all right and the post post call day, which is a tough one, we can we can mitigate. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I, I would love I, it. I, I, I think that that will get some traction. I think people will want that. Awesome. Thanks for the idea. Oh, no, for sure. I, please. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> please do it. This was a total treat. I'm so happy that you came on. You are doing such great work. This is really wonderful. It's just been a blast speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you again for the opportunity. This was, it, I've been looking forward to this now. We've been talking about it for a few months. So I've been really looking forward to it. And it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.